arresting developments at Vancouver City Hall. Well, it caught me off guard. Police pushed back after a budget cut they didn't see coming. Charges laid after a carjacker is caught on camera. No! Why? No, before! The driver's terrifying trip on Highway 1. And more uncertainty at ICBC. People are canceling their insurance, they're not buying insurance, or they're downgrading their insurance. Why drivers are still waiting for a rebate that might never come. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A Vancouver woman is speaking out tonight after stepping in to stop a racist attack. She is pregnant and was concerned for her own safety, but as Erin MacArthur tells us, she felt she had to do something. Standing in line at the home hardware, Mira Oric couldn't believe her ears or her eyes. A woman in the line was yelling at another man in the line who happened to be Chinese, um, telling him to move away from her, to go back to Wuhan. What happened on Commercial Drive is hardly isolated. Over the last two months, there have been dozens of incidents of racism around the region, ranging from full-on physical violence to verbal assaults. Many have gone unreported to the police. Most have gone on while people stand by and let it happen. Oric was faced with a choice. Pregnant, with some concern about personal safety, stepping up isn't an easy decision. You know, I sort of had a moment of, should I say something, should I not say something? I have my son with me, but I just couldn't not say something. Like, we keep hearing about these things happening, and here it was happening right before my eyes. So I just said, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. The incident left the East Vancouver woman shaken. This was what was so hard. You know, you can see why these comments, these attacks are not uh, reported. He just made himself invisible. He put his sunglasses on and had a mask on. This incident was not reported to the police. There didn't seem to be any reason to. But people who witness racialized violence urged to call 911. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The chief of the Vancouver Police Department is at odds with City Hall over a multi-million dollar budget cut approved by council last night. Jordan Armstrong spoke to both parties involved and joins us now with what a cut like this means, Jordan. Chris, the decision by Vancouver City Council was made behind closed doors without public consultation. And the police chief isn't happy. In fact, Adam Palmer isn't accepting the cut, at least not yet. He says he reports to the police board, not City Council. Well, it caught me off guard, so it wasn't something I saw coming. The chief says he learned of his department's 1% budget cut via email from city manager Sadhu Johnson after council had voted in secret. Which I found disturbing. Um, we're in a free and democratic society, so it's nice to know, you know, debate how people are voting, that kind of thing. VPD's budget has risen steadily in recent years and is now about 21% of Vancouver's overall budget. But Adam Palmer says the city's population has gone up, as have crimes like knife point robberies, racist attacks, vandalism, commercial break-ins, and arsons. We're not a department with a lot of fat. Like, we have already done all the trimming, unlike other city departments. A lot of people are suffering amid COVID. City workers are taking 10%. 1,500 city workers have been laid off. Right. The VPD can't find 1%, they say? 
Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I understand, I feel for some of those other city departments, and we are different. We are 24-7. We're providing an essential service and a core service. Mayor Kennedy Stewart says the city is hemorrhaging cash amid COVID and could lose up to $310 million this year. He adds the police board was asked in April to look for savings, but refused. We are having difficult discussions around uh, all aspects of our budget, and this is this is another difficult dis- discussion that we're having. He says by law he's not allowed to talk about what happened during the in-camera meeting, nor reveal how he voted, but he rejects it being called a secret. Characterizing it as secret is a bit of a stretch. I mean, there is a, a process under the Vancouver Charter under which, uh, through the clerk's office, we determine what issues uh, go in camera and which uh, issues do not. Public disagreements between City Hall and the police force are rare, but both men insist their working relationship is intact. Well, I have a fantastic relationship with uh, with the chief. Uh, we speak regularly, uh, spoke today. Him and I actually get along fine. It's not about me and the mayor. It's about me standing up for the police department. On paper, a 1% cut to the police department budget is just over $3 million this year. But the chief says once you factor in the costs of an upcoming labor agreement, the budget hit could be closer to $8.5 million. He claims that would translate to 80 fewer officers on the streets. The chief says he'll meet with his police board next week to discuss his options. Chris? Thank you, Jordan. A 32-year-old Surrey man is now facing several charges after a frightening string of incidents in Abbotsford and Langley. Why? No! No! Why? No! Get caught! That was the terrifying scene on Highway 1 last evening. Police say Matt Corey Dickinson had crashed a stolen truck and then tried to carjack several vehicles before being tracked down and arrested. The same man is a suspect in a pair of break-ins on Lachlan Court in Abbotsford earlier that evening, including one where the victims were home. Dickinson allegedly confronted them before stealing their truck. It was startling. I've never experienced anything like that. I honestly can never, like, it's very vivid in my brain. Um, Just the experience of it, you don't really think to yourself that you're going to ever get into that experience. And then all of a sudden when it does happen, you kind of have to almost take a step back because you're thinking to yourself, am I going to get in harm's way from it, right? We're at the initial stages of this investigation, so we don't know why this happened or how it participated. It is... There is a lot of incidents that this man was involved with and very dangerous uh, series of events. Um, So that will pan out when it comes to court. Dickinson faces seven charges, including break and enter, forcible confinement and robbery. Police say he is not known to them. While traffic is now starting to pick up again in the weeks since the pandemic started, we have seen far fewer drivers on the road and fewer crashes. But despite saving millions of dollars in claims, don't expect ICBC to pass that along to you anytime soon. Our Richard Zussman is live with more on the story. And Richard, uh, part of that is the corporation says it's not all good news for them. It's not, Sophie. This is a report that we have been waiting weeks for. And even the Attorney General says he was surprised with the fact there have been major impacts at ICBC in the red in terms of COVID-19. And that means a rebate may not come for a long, long time if it comes at all. These empty roads haven't been as much of a gift to ICBC's finances as the public insurer was hoping. And that means drivers aren't getting a rebate now. 
ICBC has no savings. Uh, every single dollar that they have in reserve is spoken for for a claim that we know about. Nearly two months after the province declared a state of emergency, the public insurer finally releasing data on what that means for ICBC. There have been fewer crashes on the road. ICBC's dial-a-claim line has seen 1,780 calls per weekday during the pandemic, down 47%. ICB accident claims down as well. On the week of March 29th to April 4th, there were 8,952 fewer crashes, down 55% than the year before. A savings of $158 million. The variability is such that uh, ICBC could have a billion dollar loss by year end, or they could potentially have even a billion dollar surplus. It's impossible to know at this stage. That variable reflected by the fact that while crashes are down, cancellations are way up. Since March 8th, 103,712 policies have been cancelled, up 53% from a year ago. There have been more than 57,000 rate class changes and a substantial drop in new insurance policies processed, all leading to a $283 million revenue hole. Revenue drops, the opposition points out, should be short term. It's ridiculous when a public insurer pulls in nearly $16 million a day in revenue and they return nothing to the people of British Columbia. EB says the government may still offer a rebate, but not until the full financial picture is clear, likely when fewer people need the financial help. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation says that's too late. We're their customers. This is a huge ripoff. Private insurance companies, which occupy a small stake of the province's optional insurance, have been offering discounts of between 10 to 20% due to lower risk because of fewer cars on the road. Across the country, uh, other insurers are providing up to $600 million in rebates to their customers in recognition of the fact that they're driving less. ICBC has also seen a huge dip in their investments. How much? It's still unclear. It could be as high as a billion dollars, but the public insurer will get a better sense near the end of this year, and that's when, if a rebate is coming, that's when it will be decided. Chris, Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Richard Zussman in Victoria. Just ahead of what many consider the unofficial kickoff to summer, the May-long weekend, a new warning from health officials tonight about staying in your own backyard. It comes as we get the latest COVID-19 numbers for the province. 15 new COVID-19 infections since yesterday, bringing BC's total to 2,391. Sadly, three more people have died, which means BC has now lost 135 people to the virus. Keith Baldry has more on the plan to rebook elective surgeries and warnings as we head into the long weekend. For many of us, this May long weekend is the unofficial start to summer. BC will soon enter a new phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, but it doesn't begin until after this weekend. And it will make our approaching summer like nothing we've ever seen before. This summer is going to be somewhat different for all of us. And this is our chance to start focusing on enjoying the many wonders that we have within our province. Hospitalizations continue to drop in number, as do ICU cases, and recovered cases grow. But this encouraging news is no reason to expand interactions and behavior, says Dr. Bonnie Henry. Top of mind for all of us needs to be fewer faces, smaller groups, shorter times together, and bigger spaces. And above all, now is not the time to travel unless you absolutely have to. This weekend... Less travel is incredibly important. Go for a hike in your local park. Visit the farmer's markets, which have started up on the weekends. Have a picnic. And if the rain sets in, 
continue to do those things that we have been doing. Have a weekend of movies at home, have those Zoom dates. As we begin to reopen our economy, our elected surgeries are coming back as well. 6,884 people across BC have been contacted by staff to discuss the rescheduling of surgeries and to discuss um, where they are and what they would like to do with respect to their surgeries. But it's important to remember not everything is coming back or starting again all at once. It will be a slow process. The green light it's kind of like a, a, a dimmer switch, right? It's, it's getting brighter on Tuesday. And we're going to have to work through together um, starting next week. And we're just going to have to take it slowly and to err on the side of caution as best we can. And it takes time uh, for those things to, to come together. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Seems weird talking about school heading into a long weekend, but yes, we are expected yep. to hear some plans tomorrow about the school year moving forward. Yeah, I'm sure this will come as a great relief to parents looking for some certainty. So Education Minister Rob Fleming, Premier John Horgan, tomorrow will be here, 10 a.m., announcing the plan to uh, resume classes in schools. Uh, the date uh, everybody's looking at is June 1st, although some suggestion it may be May 25th, but June 1st, I think, is the hard date. And it's not going to look like a normal school system, folks. Uh, so kids who are kindergarten to grade 5, they'll be going, likely in most districts, and some districts will be different than others, they'll likely be going on alternate days. They're not going to be going in every day. So they'll take turns uh, through the first four days. Friday is not a, play, a time for K-5 to kids to be in school. Uh, grades 6 to 12, largely still going to be confined to online learning. They're not going to be in schools for the most part, although in some districts they will have access one day a week. And keep in mind, this is all voluntary. Kids don't have to go back if they don't want to. And in some jurisdictions, it's only been a 30% return. So, again, a far different look to our education system starting in June. All right. We'll get the details tomorrow and talk to you then. Thanks, Keith. Yep. With COVID-19 restrictions slowly being rolled back, things are a little different this year for the May long weekend. As Jennifer Palmer reports, many provincial parks open their gates to visitors today, but there are limits to your outdoor adventure. Splashing around in Alouette Lake, a favorite pastime for these brothers at Golden Ears Park, but it's something they haven't been able to do lately until now. Get outside time. Getting out, you know, from the, the normal indoors and getting to spend time here at the, the beach is great for the kids. COVID-19 forced the closure of provincial parks as officials tried to stem the spread of the virus. But now the province is reopening 800 parks around B.C. in time for the Victoria Day-long weekend. Outdoor enthusiasts itching to head outside after weeks of self-isolation. As somebody who uh, lives by themselves, and I have luckily been able to work through this, uh, but the self-isolation has been... Uh, kind of difficult, so being able to get out into nature is a nice release. So I think it's really important. Right now, parking lots aren't very full, but there is a steady stream of visitors. Typically, on a long weekend, Golden Ears is crammed. Officials are bracing for this. To help keep numbers down and make sure physical distancing can be observed, the province is only opening up parks for day use. No camping allowed yet. We have a crowd control plan in place, uh, making sure people know they they need to physically distance. If we find uh, through our monitoring that a particular park is uh, is getting overcrowded and can't be managed, uh, we'll look for other measures to control that. Uh, potentially, we could uh, temporarily reclose it again. Washrooms, beaches, boat launches, picnic areas, and some trails will be open. Sanitization of high-touch areas and bathrooms will be stepped up. The province is asking visitors to use parks close to home and avoid non-essential travel. Those we spoke with are just happy to be able to enjoy nature. I wanted to be here for the opening just because it's been such a 
excitement of going back to the parks and everything. As for camping, you'll have to wait until June 1st, but you can go over to the BC Parks website and make a reservation as of May 25th. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Renters are realizing there's a silver lining from the COVID crisis. Long-term listings are flooding the market and it's driving the prices down. The reason for the glut of available properties in just over a minute. Cheers! A raucous reopening in the United States, plus devastating testimony from the vaccine expert fired by Donald Trump coming up. And wait till you see what one family rigged up to get a safe hug from grandma. That's later. Right now, it looks like the COVID-19 crisis might be giving some B.C. renters a bit of a break from astronomical rates. The latest month-to-month figures show many rents were down in April compared to the month before. Catherine Urquhart tells us what might be behind it. Apartment rents in Metro Vancouver have been sky high for years. But now, as we navigate through a global pandemic, a new report shows monthly rents for one and two bedrooms are falling in a number of cities. The big cities in Canada are all down. Rentals.ca says when it compared April rents to those in March, the cost of a one-bedroom in Vancouver dropped 5.6%. A two-bedroom is down 15.8%. The short-term market has fallen quite dramatically. Victoria also saw the price of a one-bedroom rental slip 3% and a two-bedroom is down 10.3%. Might have dropped, but then it's a bit far from declaring affordability in our time. In Richmond, the price of a one-bedroom rose 1%, but a two-bedroom dropped 11.3%. The Vancouver Tenants Union believes part of the impact is coming from Airbnb. For the hosts who just have a room in their house, it's not such a big deal. But we have some real speculators out there with 20, 30, 40 uh, properties that are empty and they have all those mortgages to pay. So it's going over to the rental market. As demand for Airbnb evaporates, cities around the world are seeing rental prices plummet even more. But will that happen here? I think that it might Uh, loosen up the vacancy rate just a little bit for right now. But I do think in the long run, those short-term rentals will come back. With zero tourists and no end in sight to the pandemic, Vancouver's super pricey rental market now quite possibly in for a correction. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up ahead, growing concerns about the safety of our food supply. What happens when too many food inspectors get sick? And a local gym using dividers to conquer the coronavirus. Traffic is in good shape north and south over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but keep in mind overnight maintenance causes lane closures and delays 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Federal and provincial governments are under pressure to do more to protect the health and safety of the country's meat inspectors after a number of them became sick with COVID-19. Without inspectors, processing plants cannot run at full capacity. David Aiken reports on the additional strain that's putting on the country's food supply system. By law, no meatpacking plant in Canada can operate without one, a meat inspector. 
They make sure that Canada's food is safe. But right now, Canada's 1,500 or so federal meat inspectors are worried about their own safety. So our folks are, you know, they're getting more and more concerned. Uh, the anxiety levels are increasing. And uh, we're seeing more and more infection rates in our members as well. The Agriculture Union represents those who work for the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, or CFIA. It says 40 of its members have been diagnosed with COVID-19, including 21 alone at plants in Alberta. Inspectors work in the plants themselves, and so when the plants workers get sick, the inspectors get sick. And now the CFIA is having trouble finding enough inspectors. So much so, it is threatening disciplinary action to employees resisting reassignment as inspectors. Ottawa concedes the inspector shortage has been a challenge. Getting that balance right is extremely important. We need to ensure that essential services like the food supply continue to flow to to Canadians, but we need to make sure we're doing everything we can to keep workers safe. Ottawa and several provincial governments have provided millions so far to buy personal protective equipment for workers, but the industry says more is needed as processors are forced to do complete plant redesigns to keep workers and inspectors safe in a time of pandemic. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. As BC eases toward a cautious reopening, gyms and fitness clubs are preparing for the return of their clients. But as Romina Dea reports, many are still looking for more direction about what they should be doing and wondering how many people actually will return when they open. Just get that blood pumped in. Motivation, not an issue for Mary Lee. You're only going up, baby, let's go. But the virtual classes in isolation are taking a toll. Part of the reason why I go to gym is also for the social aspect of it. You know, I get to see my friends, I like the instructors, so yeah, I do miss it. Lee's yoga studio in East Vancouver is closed. Fitness facilities, another casualty of COVID-19. But safety plans are in the works for a comeback, says the CEO of Oxygen Yoga and Fitness plexiglass shields will be placed between yoga mats which will be spaced two meters apart to create a physical barrier individual yoga kits masks and industrial disinfecting also part of the plan but a reopening date is unclear i think right now there is so much unknown that we're still waiting to to get that direction that definitive date but we have the plan in place in order to, to open. The provincial health officer never closed yoga studios or gyms anywhere in the province. The confusion lies within each health authority. For example, Fraser Health ordered a shutdown of fitness facilities. In Vancouver, that didn't happen. That will be up to the local MHO when they feel it is appropriate to lift those orders. And I know that right now most of them are going till the end of May. So that gives people time to come up with their appropriate approach. The question is, will it be financially feasible for all studios to reopen given class sizes have to be slashed to meet social distancing rules? Another obstacle, consumer confidence. If I go to a gym, it is too risky for the fear of bringing the virus home. Romina Dea, Global News. Another scathing indictment of the Donald Trump administration's response to COVID-19, this time from a man who says he was fired last month for sounding the alarm. 
Dr. Rick Bright told a House hearing today that Trump and his officials ignored his dire predictions and he warned of dark days ahead. A new warning tonight from a former top U.S. vaccine official who says the worst of the coronavirus crisis could be yet to come. If we fail to improve our response now based on science, I fear the pandemic will get worse and be prolonged. Without better planning, 2020 could be the darkest winter in modern history. Dr. Rick Bright was ousted last month as head of the federal agency involved in developing a coronavirus vaccine. He filed a whistleblower complaint alleging he was forced from his job for objecting to the wide distribution of hydroxychloroquine, a drug promoted by President Trump as a remedy for coronavirus. Studies later suggested the drug may provide no benefit and can lead to heart problems. Dr. Bright telling a House committee today that the Trump White House missed early warning signs about the pandemic. Our nation was not as prepared as we should have been, as we could have been. I believe Americans need to be told the truth. I believe that the best scientific guidance and advice was not being conveyed to the American public. And that the administration ignored repeated red flags in late January from the nation's largest manufacturer of medical masks. I'll never forget the emails I received indicating that our N95 respirator supply was, was completely decimated. And he said, we're in deep shit. Instant angry reaction from President Trump. To me, he's nothing more than a, a really uh, disgruntled, unhappy person. And I'm not just talking about Alex, because Alex said it strongly. But there are a lot of people that do not like the job he did. I don't know him. I never met him. The president making a day trip to Allentown, Pennsylvania, his second visit in as many weeks to an election year battleground state, today touring a medical supplies company. Mr. Trump choosing not to wear a face mask during his visit, while other government officials did. Meantime, the CDC tonight releasing some of its long-delayed guidance about how and when to reopen public places like schools, shops, and restaurants. The first casino in Washington state has reopened since the pandemic began. Arlington's Angel of the Winds Casino, which is located between Bellingham and Seattle, opened Wednesday at 50% capacity. The casino is operated by the Stiligwamish tribe, which means it isn't bound by Washington's statewide stay-at-home orders. The casino says it's using safety measures, including taking guest temperatures at the door and mandatory face coverings. For now, only slot machines will be open. B.C. casinos, of course, are still closed. As countries around the world work to contain COVID-19, many have invested in new gadgets to detect and slow the spread of the virus. And as travel bans begin to ease in Europe, some technology is head and shoulders above the rest. They look straight out of a sci-fi movie. RoboCop-style helmets designed to take temperatures. At Rome's Leonardo da Vinci airport, police use them to scan incoming passengers. The augmented reality is projected inside the visor, says the senior engineer. It's able to detect the temperature of a single person or group. The helmets can read temperatures from more than 20 feet away, an important tool to maintain social distancing. The international airport is ramping up safety measures as it slowly reopens to visitors. Similar technology is also being used by police in Dubai. Officers are deploying the Chinese-made headgear throughout the crowded city. It can scan up to 200 people a minute. More advanced than other smart helmets, 
This gear has six different scanning options. So it's got the temperature reading mode. It also has facial recognition capabilities, plate number recognition, QR code reader, um, and ultimately this all connects together to give you the history of a person. As it works to keep cities healthy, the safety feature isn't immune to criticism. Civil liberties groups say the technology acts as big brother and is an invasion of privacy. Ian Lee, CBS News, London. A family in Illinois is getting top marks for their COVID-19 hug-friendly invention. Okay. Put your arms through the slots. All right. Oh, my goodness. The kids obviously love it. Using some PVC pipe and plastic, the family created a so-called hug guard so they could get in a big hug with Grandma. It was such a hit, the family expects Grandma Rose to come over for a daily embrace. Well, parents of deaf and hearing impaired children are accusing the NDP government of leaving them behind at the most critical point in their young lives. As Linda Aylesworth reports, they say a funding shortfall threatens the future of the only school of its kind in the province. <laughs> Four-year-old Jessica was born with significant hearing loss, but thanks to early intervention, she's learned to speak as well as to communicate in sign language. So when her sister McKenna was born profoundly deaf, this is the external part of the cochlear implant. Jessica was able to help. That's a worm. It was pretty neat to see, you know, big sister signing to little sister. You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing to see the girls use the signs too. The first few years of any child's life are vital for language development. But the girls' parents now fear their youngest may lose out. There's so many more children that are requiring early intervention services, but the amount of funding hasn't increased at all. So there's been major cutbacks to um, our girls' programs. <laughs> Matt Kalanick has similar concerns for his daughter, Zoe. The preschool she goes to, Deaf Children's Society, it's at risk of closing, period. All services terminated. They will not have the capital to continue after about two months. And so he started a petition on change.org with a goal of getting 50,000 signatures to be sent to the Ministry of Children and Family Development, which is responsible up until children enter kindergarten to provide early intervention services in this province, they need about six to nine million dollars a year to do it, and they're only giving about 1.7 million. The ministry's response, we recognize the importance of early language development for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. These pressures are being considered as we proceed with developing a new child and youth with special needs service framework. But consideration isn't enough for frustrated parents who worry that their children will never catch up if they miss out early on. They're going to go into mainstream school without early language acquisition. They're not going to be socialized. They're not going to have the tools to communicate with their peers. And these kids are going to end up costing the government more money later on. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Still ahead, fairies at the front door. Fairy. One mom comes up with a magical idea to bring joy to isolated families. And coming up in sports, NASCAR returns with a roar this weekend. And that's not the only amazing comeback story after this spectacular crash last season. Because of the COVID crisis, Handy Dart bus service hasn't been operating at full capacity for a while. 
but the vehicles are still being put to good use. TransLink has partnered with two nonprofit groups using the buses and drivers to deliver food to those in need. Nadia Stewart reports. Twice a week, the kitchen at Cedar Cottage neighborhood house is a busy place. On Thursday's menu, new we got a little bit of barbecue pork fried rice and some mixed vegetables. George Santo packs up to 100 of these frozen lunches every week for the seniors he has not seen in over two months. Not being able to see what uh, the expression that people are, uh, that we see here every day at Cedar Cottage, uh, seeing how the seniors are enjoying their meal here. So it's been a bit of a change. Protecting some of the communities most vulnerable from COVID-19. We know that the social isolation is, is just going to impact their lives. And also when they are ready to come back, if we don't maintain that connection, um, we're going to lose some of those seniors. Morning, Dorsey. <laughs> Means bringing the healthy meals they know and love directly to their doorstep by way of a service they know and love. We're their lifeline. Azim Ghani says he misses the seniors he'd usually see on his regular handy dart route. Thanks to a partnership between the city, the United Way, Cedar Cottage and TransLink, this initiative means he can still see them and bring them something to brighten their day. Actually, they're happy to see us, especially our bus gives it away. Yeah, but uh, yeah, when they see us, yeah, it's awesome. And the smile on their face. No Thank worries. you very much. Because for seniors like Alice Ma, it's the connection that she misses the most. Yeah, I miss them because they are very friendly, the people, and then they taught me the very good food to us. <laughs> Ridership has dropped by 80% because of COVID-19. So for now, these delivery runs are part of the new normal. Nadia Stark, Global News. Well, that was awesome. And so is this. Who doesn't like a good demolition? We've got one for you coming up right after Christie's forecast. Good question. Who doesn't <laughs> love one? All right. Who doesn't love a sunny day? And we uh, will have one tomorrow, Christy. That's right. And it turned into a sunny day here, Sophie and Chris. Uh, certainly gray this morning. We had a number of showers across our region, but it has brightened up. And you can see how nicely green it is behind me with the flowers. All right. So I wanted to show you just quickly the uh, precipitation relative anomaly for the month of uh, April. It was exceptionally dry all across Western Canada and especially in BC. The areas in uh, gray and sort of black, that's uh, exceptionally dry uh, to 75 to 100 uh, um, above, below average. Now, May has turned a corner. Other than our Mother's Day long or Mother's Day weekend, we've had a bit of rain every day, and that is good news as we head into the forest fire season. But keep in mind, we still need to be very, very careful. Here's a look at tomorrow. We still do have isolated showers and a risk of thunderstorms inland, but it should be mostly sunny across our region other than some cloud cover in the morning. That next system arrives, though, on Saturday, and for the Metro Vancouver region, that's by the east evening hours likely. So again, just a chance of showers or risk of thunderstorms here. Otherwise, tomorrow should be mainly sunny by the afternoon for the south coast region. As we head towards our long weekend, though, we will see wet weather, not till the end of the day on Saturday, thankfully, and it looks like we could see some breaks on Monday. All right, here's your central windows weather window. Yes, a passing shower that is very uh, apropos for what we've seen over the last little while. Evening shower. Thank you to Michael for that. That's stunning shot. Okay. Oh, wow. 
Guys, back to you. Evening showers means these beautiful uh, flowers come out, right? <laughs> nice. And it kind of matches your top, too. <laughs> Excellent planning, Christy. Excellent planning. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> see, see you later. All right. Back to the demolition. Wait till you see this one. The spectacular controlled explosion brought down the two cooling towers of an old nuclear plant in southern Germany. The utility provider kept the timing of the explosion a secret so as not to attract crowds while government coronavirus restrictions are in place. The demolition makes way for a direct current transformer station that will be used to transport electricity from northern to southern Germany. Verwunderlicht. Something like that, anyway. It's amazing. Cool. It was cool. Cool and amazing. Okay. All right, so is this guy. Here's Squire Barnes with a look ahead to sports. It's amazing how humans are fascinated and love watching those demolitions, but I bet you there was no crowd when they were building that thing. <laughs> it took a little longer. Uh, this morning, Seahawks cornerback Quinton Dunbar talked about how happy he was that Seattle traded for him in March. Well, when I first heard about the trade that I was going to Seattle, I was excited. Several hours after he said that, Florida police said he was wanted on four counts of armed robbery. Whew. Also tonight, surprises left on the front step. The ferries behind it. Later. A scuttle your career in one easy step. Here's Squire <laughs> Barnes. Well, one of the uh, Seattle Seahawks' biggest off-season acquisitions was trading for defensive back Quinton Dunbar. But Dunbar is now wanted by police in Florida for an armed robbery that took place at some kind of a house party last night. He was there with the Giants defensive back DeAndre Baker, who's also being sought after by police. They allegedly robbed partygoers of money and jewelry at gunpoint. Dunbar made $3 million last year as a member of the Washington Redskins. He is supposed to make $3.4 million this year in Seattle. What makes this even crazier is this came out just hours after Dunbar did Zoom interviews about how happy he was to be joining the Seahawks. Now this is a huge blow for the Hawks because they were hoping Dunbar could be a starter this coming season and one of the leaders in the secondary. He was considered one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL last season, rarely getting beaten for a touchdown. He also had four interceptions this year. It's okay to steal footballs from quarterbacks. Any other kind of robbery isn't okay. NASCAR returns this Sunday with the Real Heroes 400 at Darlington Raceway. It uh, starts a run of eight Cup Series races in less than a month. Uh, there won't be any fans, of course, but TV cameras will be there. And also, Ryan Newman will be there, driving despite suffering a horrific crash while leading the Daytona 500 on the final lap back on February 17th. Comes Hamlin up the outside. Wow. Crash into the wall, into the air, goes Newman. It was a type of accident that anybody who saw it will never forget it. But the man who was in the car, Ryan Newman, doesn't actually remember this accident. I don't remember any part of the lights out in the crash. Like, I, I really don't. I don't know how much of that was the crash, the impact, you know, part of whatever I had for an injury or just the medication that went along with it. The fact that Newman was so close to the checkered flag when his car was rear-ended at 200 miles an hour by Ryan Blaney added to the pain from the accident. But seeing how well his car and safety measures kept him from having anything more than a self-described brain bruise, 
means he's much more grateful than he is upset. I feel very blessed and fortunate, as I think you've read or heard me say several times, to uh, be able to talk to you guys and uh, get the opportunity to return to my race car seat. Not just any seat, but my race car seat. It's good to see him okay. I think he needs a better computer, though. Uh, talk that Major League Soccer and the NBA may want to use Disney World in Orlando to finish their season is very welcome news to the governor of Florida. He wants them to come. All professional sports uh, are welcome here for practicing and for playing. Now, we're not going to necessarily have fans, but there's been reports that Major League Soccer may want to have their season in Orlando. Do it. We want to have you here. Uh, we want to have the basketball practicing again. We would love to have the Major League Baseball. And I think the message is that our people are starved to have some of this back in their lives. It's an important part of people's lives. Well, I agree with that. <laughs> Sports That's is literally. an important part of people's lives. Come on. All right. So, some more than others. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Andrea for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. We'll dig a little deeper into the latest COVID-19 information released today. It turns out the outbreak that had been declared over at the Langley Lodge long-term care home has been hit again. There's been 10 new cases there, and two of today's three deaths were residents. And Vancouver has made another best-of list. We finished just ahead of other world travel destinations, such as Kuala Lumpur and Bruges in Belgium. We'll let you know in what category when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. All right, thanks, Dan. All right, when we come back, our salute to healthcare heroes and children baffled by the doorstop fairies. That's next. Thanks very much to all our viewers for your great nominations, recognizing our BC healthcare heroes who are working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. And tonight's nomination comes from Dan Levitt. He says his co-worker, Kate Tate, is his <laughs> BC healthcare hero. Kate is the director of care services at Tabor Village in Abbotsford. On April 25th, Kate got the news that an older adult living at the care home had tested positive for COVID-19. She gave her husband a hug and kiss, not knowing when she might see him again. Kate drove straight to the care home to implement the pandemic plan she and Tabor Village had developed. She moved into a local hotel to stay physically distant from her family and ensure the infection was contained. Dan says from her clinical leadership, the infection spread was minimized and Kate lovingly ensures that both the seniors living at the care home and the staff providing care had all the supports they needed to be protected and stay healthy. Kate, Dan says you are his health care hero, and we thank you, too, for all that you are doing to help B.C. through this pandemic. Way to go, Kate. You're great. <laughs> and we want you to keep those nominations coming. Send them to B.C. Health Care Heroes at globalnews.ca. Just include a picture or two and a story about why your nominee is your health care hero. A New Brunswick mom has found a way to spread a little joy among families who may be struggling to cope during COVID-19. And she's hoping her magical idea will spread its wings across the country. Global Shelley Steves reports. Enjoy your little gift, love, the doorstep fairy. It's like Christmas for them. Yeah. Knowing that parents and children are struggling at home in isolation due to COVID-19, New Brunswick's Tina Chercuti started up a Facebook group called Doorstep Fairy Surprise. 
calling on volunteer fairies, like her own daughters, to sneak around the city and drop off surprise gifts for kids who may be having a hard time making sense of life during the pandemic. I think most kids have been really like awesome troopers going through this. They're so resilient. Dressed in colorful fairy wings, her daughters tiptoe onto porches, leaving behind bags of goodies as they ring doorbells and run off so they don't get spotted. Thank you so much. It's really hard right now. We can't go to school. We can't see our friends. But the shrieks of delight now heard across the city as kids open up those bags, it sure drowns out the doom and gloom. It just pulls at my heartstrings. How could it not with reactions like this? Tina is now hoping that magical moments like this will spread and communities across the country will start recruiting their own little fabulous fairies. It's an awesome country and I know we're all generous. Times are tough right now. Life can still be a fairy tale. Thank you, surprise fairy. Shelly Steves, Global News. Look, it's too much. Let's all just admit that was too much. (laughs) That was great. All right, final word on the weather from Christy. Don't be surprised if you see a bit of cloud cover tomorrow, but the sun will make an appearance, everyone. So enjoy your Friday. So we will. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.